0: From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Cindy Maxwell-Ostick, who is running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska State Legislature.
1: I have a growth orientation, and one of the things that is frustrating to me is when I see opportunities we don't take advantage of. It almost frustrates me more (laughs) than if we have something that we do, and it's... potentially didn't work or it needs adjustment and we can improve it but when we sit and leave something on the table that could help everyday Nebraskans it is very frustrating to me and that's part of the reason I did decide to run.
0: Maxwell Ostick and I discuss what pushed her to run for office and her vision for a nonpartisan Nebraska. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events. And we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for. The reason why you subscribed in the first place. To hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero. In which case, ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. We'll be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of the show at Benson Theatre on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Manheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Manheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theatre for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there'll be an opportunity for audience questions and participation. Check for tickets at kios.org or bensontheater.org. Today I'm talking with Cindy Maxwell-Ostick, who's running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska state legislature. In addition to running for office, Maxwell Ostick is the president of Rank the Vote Nebraska and serves on the advisory board for Nonpartisan Nebraska. We talk about her political formation, what pushed her to run for office, and her vision for a nonpartisan Nebraska in practice. Here is our conversation. So I think... Intellectually, most people can understand the value of a nonpartisan philosophy when it comes to politics. Uh, It would require individuals to think and act on their own, at least in an idealized way, with more good faith than we sometimes see uh, in our culture war noise that often overshadows what happens in our politics today. But so emotionally, I think a problem is negative polarization is difficult to overcome, right? People like good guys and bad guys, and they like to see the bad guys lose, which I think is often more motivating than sometimes seeing the good guys win when people are very into that polarized mindset. So why do you think it's so difficult for nonpartisan realities to manifest in a state like Nebraska, where we do have something that in theory is a model of a nonpartisan approach through the unicameral? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Well, I would say that it's critical to the success of how Nebraska's government works. And I'm a fan of the nonpartisan unicameral. I've actually I've been a nonpartisan ever since I've moved to Nebraska as a young woman and have voted both ways before for candidates from various parties and have had people from both parties ask me to join. And I just haven't found one that I agree with enough. I really like people um for both parties. My husband's a Republican and I've actually helped quite a few Democrats and I have a lot of Democrats helping me right now with my So I think that the thing to keep in mind here in Nebraska is that 25% of us are independent and we have a need in our state for uh, people who will try to bring people together and get some solutions going. I think a lot of us are frustrated and I've talked with voters in District 4 who are very dissatisfied with the extreme partisanship. Um, during the primary, it was very evident, talking with people who'd been watching what had happened with the legislature this session, and there's just, it's not productive, let alone um, the division is not productive, but it also just drives neighbors apart. And I mean neighbors, not just necessarily in my district, but from district to district. We're all Nebraskans. And I think that everyone has... Family that like here. I'm living in Omaha and my husband as well, but he's from a small town in uh, Middle Nebraska, Blue Hill, Nebraska, 700 and something people Um, But when you live in a small town or say in farming or ranch out in western Nebraska many times your kids or your nieces and nephews Will come to school or maybe work in Lincoln or Omaha or Grand Island So I just think this kind of urban and rural divide is um, It's not really necessarily real I think that a lot of times there is a way that some people like to just drive that wedge. And it's just not how I operate. And so that's one of the reasons I'm running.
0: You kind of mentioned that a lot of times the urban-rural divide, uh, is it can explain some of why people are partisan the way that they are. Uh, I think a lot of people, it's kind of similar to a sports team, right? Like a lot of people will sort of be part of the party that their family was a part of or that the culture around them was a part of. And they'll root for them the same way you do, you know, the Huskers if you're from Nebraska. So for you growing up, was there a point when you would had a different relationship to parties? Like was your family nonpartisan growing up?
1: My parents, I believe, were Republican. When I moved to Nebraska, I had been um, to school for a while in Missouri, and I just had determined I wasn't sure which party I wanted to join. So it's the default is nonpartisan here mm-hmm. in Nebraska. And then I just never changed it.
0: There wasn't like a rebellion against one or the other. It was just, uh, you know, you're open. The The idea of a voter who will split the ticket is almost like becoming this mythical thing in the way that we talk about politics now. But that was you?
1: Yes. And there's actually a lot of us. I think not everyone talks about it. But there's a lot of people like in Nebraska and Iowa that just say, oh, we're not going to talk about politics. And so you have to really draw them out to kind of understand what's important to them. And then once someone realizes politics touch all areas of your life, then it's a little bit easier conversation. Mm -hmm.
0: I think that's a realization for some people. I don't think it always comes out of like they're not trying to be deceptive. It's just sort of like they don't see politics everywhere they look until one day you kind of can't unsee it. Right. For you, what was that point?
1: 2016 with the presidential election, I had been a regular voter and I believed and put too much stock into how my elected officials were voting. I think that I might have disagreed with some of my elected officials on various topics, but I really thought I understood that at a basic level, we would all have the same values. And it was shocking to me um, seeing what was happening. Um, I'm still very concerned about our democracy. And I want to say something right now that doesn't mean I don't trust our elections. I think Nebraska has amazing elections. They're very secure. And I think Secretary of State Evnen and all of his staff and all of the election commissions in the various counties do a very good job. But I'm concerned about our democracy. And so when Congress was not quite holding up their equal branch of government responsibilities and how things were happening at the state level, I focused more on Nebraska. And there were a group of us that realized we didn't understand as much as we should about the unicameral and so we started studying it and then we it's just grown from there we try to help everyday Nebraskans become more involved it's a privilege but it's a responsibility also as the second house to you know make sure that the senators are making the best laws for all of us
0: so how much like how engaged were you in politics before 2016
1: then uh, not much i mean i had written some emails and things like that i think i called my senator or congressperson once or twice but i had not really um kind of dug in
0: mm-hmm. well it's i hear that a lot on this show so many people who are running for office 2016 was really the moment when they got mm-hmm. engaged it's interesting that there was kind of this complacency or just this idea that the ship was sort of running itself and people didn't feel like they necessarily needed to be involved before 2016. Why do you think that was?
1: I would say here in Nebraska, for many of us, it's because we're privileged. And I am someone who has come from a background where we did not have a lot of money or, you know, when I say privilege, I don't necessarily mean that someone is living a certain lifestyle, but just by nature of who we are, there are some of us that just really didn't realize how um, lucky we are with our circumstances. So we might not have been impacted by all of the laws so directly or in a way that really um, was repressive. And so I think that a lot of people's eyes are opening to that. And I'm not the best about how to describe it. I'm still learning about my privilege, but I do feel that it is something here in Nebraska we need to be paying more attention to and highlighting that we have neighbors from all backgrounds. And I wish we had more representation in Nebraska of women first, uh, younger people, people that are, you know, of various religion or, you know, black, indigenous, you know, other people of color, disability, LGBTQ. I mean, just name it. I think we need more diverse representation so that we'll have better laws.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Cindy Maxwell-Ostick, who's running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska State Legislature. Join the conversation on social media or call in with what issue is on your mind in a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when we think about moving away from highly partisan ways of legislating. There's almost this idolization of the idea of being a centrist. Um, and I think it it almost holds this – it's like a vague signifier of collaboration, but it doesn't necessarily uh, tie itself to a particular vision when we say something is centrist or someone is a centrist as opposed to something that I think what you're talking about is almost more like a popularism, right? That broadly things that are popular, things that pull well – should be what moves the dial as opposed to maybe party affiliation or uh, a an agreement between two parties that aren't necessarily popularist, right? What, what's your take on the way centrism uh, exists in our cultural understanding of politics?
1: Right now, there doesn't seem to be any. And it's hard sometimes to put to words, but I believe that there are a lot of us who have not changed over these years, but politics have moved so sideways. Many of us who would consider ourselves to be moderates or centrist are being portrayed by people from a certain party as being quote unquote leftists or you know extreme. Philosophy, I guess, is the way to put it. I don't feel like I've changed. I believe that a lot of the things that are important to many of us have, are consistent. Everybody is concerned about their families. They want their businesses to succeed. They want their neighbors to succeed. I think most of us realize that when our neighbors are doing well, we're all better off. But it, I think that people have not been um, realizing that ways they've been listening to some of the politicians, some of the you know, uh, media, and things like that have really kind of pushed out community. And I think that that's the part when you say centrist or moderate, I think there's some of us that are still realizing community is all of us. And there are sometimes that are, we're needing our elected officials to listen, we trust them to make good decisions that would not harm certain groups. We don't want people who their fundamental rights, but There are some times when decisions are made based on party uh, politics and the uh, representatives aren't listening to us. They're only listening potentially to their party donors or, um, you know, people in their party who have very strong uh, influence. I guess I would just say the governor here in Nebraska right now has a very strong influence on the Republican senators in the unicameral. And um, it's very difficult watching what's been happening to you, Cameron, the last few years when we have um, term limits have really impacted it as well. And there, at a certain point, will be that it could break. I mean, we just need to make sure and protect that. What
0: do you mean it could break? What does that look like?
1: I feel like we're almost heading down that path where um, there's so much influence, outside influence, regarding the party, politics, or certain people – having an outside influence, an outsize influence, um, that the senators aren't always making the decisions that would best serve their district. And the um, Unicameral has faced a few uh, changes lately. There were, like there was a bill brought this year to, uh, it was a constitutional resolution to to take the elections from being nonpartisan, take away that requirement. And when I was at that hearing uh, to testify, and talk as a nonpartisan voter and a nonpartisan candidate. I know that the person who'd introduced the resolution had maybe an amendment that would have indicated that that meant only like a D or an R behind the candidate's name on the ballot. But I had talked with a few senators and I did understand and realize that this resolution would come to the legislature to be enacted. And at that point, we could have been even moving towards party primaries in the legislature. And that would just be um, one of the things that I believe would be a a final straw as far as the unicameral. I know that there's been senators talking about how they want to go back to a second house or excuse me, two house structure. It's just something that I think that we need to really focus on because here in Nebraska, we have the ability to directly work with our senators to create excellent laws, we just don't always take advantage of that.
0: What do you think the motivation is behind bringing partisan, uh, whether that means like getting rid of the unicameral as it exists, or to take out that nonpartisan element to it? Why do people want to bring partisan politics in?
1: I am on the advisory board for Nonpartisan Nebraska, and one of the things that I'm really pleased is that there is an organization trying to help with the education about the unicameral and why it's so important. It's not just because the unicameral is unique. That's how people describe the unicameral, just because we are the only uh, state with just one house, but it's not just because we're unique that we would want to continue that. It's actually serving Nebraskans well, and it serves the senators well. Also, and how they're making the best laws for us. Um, I love this book. And in our legislative study group, we actually have a lending library. I'm going to lend this to you. It's called The One House, the Unicameral's Progressive Vision for Nebraska. It's written by Charlene Behrens. And she goes through, and it is a complete history and talking about George Norris and how this came about. And it's just really helpful for understanding the reasons behind it. And there's another um, book I wanted to highlight because I know you have kind of talked with someone who, you know, in the fourth grade, everyone goes on a field trip to mm-hmm. the legislature, but they might not always kind of understand what's happening. Um, Amanda McGill Johnson is a previous senator from Lincoln. Uh, she is now living here in Omaha and wrote a book. It's a children's book called Unicameral and You and um, it's great. I had a couple extra copies, but I gave them out to my nieces and nephews, so I'm sorry I don't have one to give <laughs> to you the, today. The demo for it more so yeah. than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, those are really excellent resources, but the thing about the unicameral is that the senators have the ability to work with each other as equals regarding making these laws, and any of them can make an amendment to a bill, and the two-part excuse me two house systems that you see across the country when you have a uh, caucus that's responsible or the majority that holds the committees they determine which bills get a hearing let alone how amendments and things like that are handled and I know I've talked to several senators when they attend functions that are about legislature so you can learn around the country how things are handled everyone is jealous of Nebraska because of those types of things um, the committee uh, process is also one that we, as the second house, are required. It really is a responsibility that we be involved, and it is something that is always every hearing. Every bill gets a hearing in Nebraska. Doesn't happen in other states. So the senators have the chance to listen to us and understand what our priorities are and how we need to have things structured so that it best serves our families. You know, I think that that's something that a lot of people find hard because the hearings are usually only for very special situations has it been outside of um, just happening in the afternoons, you know, during the week. And it's hard for people to attend. Um, but they can always contact their senator you know and send email, or they can do an online comment on the website as well and I would just say it's really important that we do that
0: so how did you go from two thousand sixteen ish you get a lot more civically engaged? it sounds like than you were before. How does that eventually lead to wanting to run for office?
1: okay, so i wasn't going to run I never would have intended to run for office it's never something that I had considered um, but as our legislative study group grew and we became more involved and we're learning about the process and also participating these last few years, I have become um, aware of how we need more representation of everyday Nebraskans. And so I'm a recruiter by trade, my background's in HR and um, executive search. And so Senator Helkman in District 4 has been term limited and I've been asking people if they would consider running. I was trying to recruit someone that I would admire, to run for that seat. And no one I asked said yes. And I had several people tell me to run, including a couple senators. And so it was something I had to think about. Um, It was something I considered very seriously. It was not anything I just... You know have just kind of lightly just said yes I'll run. That was something I took a hard look at but I I have a feeling I'll be a very good senator. I know that I will be listening to all my neighbors and taking all of their you know information and priorities into account. I also know that I will be someone who will be a good communicator with what is happening in the legislature. I admire Senator Hilkeman. He has hold, held um, monthly coffees for all of his constituents except during COVID. Unfortunately, that kind of um, stopped. But he would bring in people to speak that had expertise, you know, like someone from the corrections division or another senator to talk about one of the bills that they were introducing. And I think that that community and that communication is something that is uh, vital. And I will be continuing that um, legacy. Mm-hmm.
0: So it was difficult. It was a difficult decision because you didn't want to have to jump into politics in that directive way as opposed to being civically engaged and sort of just being a little bit on the outside.
1: Well, and it's a commitment. I view it very seriously. And I have three kids. My kids are in eighth, ninth and tenth grade now. And um, it's a time commitment to, you know, spend a few months in Lincoln continuously during the session. But I also know that it's an important thing that you're involved with throughout the year. There are responsibilities you're trying to learn, trying to talk with stakeholders, uh, you know, about legislation. And there are so many things that I believe the senator should be doing that it is a full-time job. And I'm Privileged to be in a position where my husband and I have a small business from our home, and that I'm available time wise to do that. And I'm in a position where I could, um, you know, afford to do that. Unfortunately, the legislature only pays their senators $1,000 a month. And that is just something that is out of reach for many everyday Nebraskans to even consider running. It's something that probably leads to us having so many retired. People that are representing us.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those ones where it maybe it's the glass half full, glass half empty thing to decide how intentional that is in the exclusionary sort of circumstance, you, you know, of, of who can afford to become a state senator, right?
1: Well, and I definitely would if Senator Vargas is still in the legislature and he's up for election for Congress. So I don't know; he might not be there. But if Senator Vargas would rebring a bill that he introduced a few years ago, I would be supporting him on that. And if he's not there, I would like to pick it up. And that was to increase the pay for the senators. And I'll just say right now, it's not due to my want to have more salary. Um, It is because we need people to represent us that would not be able to afford to do this on a thousand dollars a month. Um, His idea, I just think, was brilliant. It was tied to the median income for our state, there was a percentage of the inc- percentage of the median income. So it would rise and fall based on the success of Nebraskans. And it was a data point that wouldn't be arbitrary. And I thought that was a very good idea. And it would make it more doable for people who were just starting out in their careers or people who, you know, maybe have uh, really good ability to serve, but they wouldn't be able to step away from their career and not supplement their income. So yeah, I think that would be a good idea.
0: But that one, it stalled, didn't make it?
1: Right. I think that a lot of uh, legislators were saying on the floor, oh, we don't want to give ourselves a raise and all this kind of stuff. But I think that most people don't even realize that we don't compensate our legislators in a way that allows for everyone to run.
0: I'm talking with Cindy Maxwell-Ostic, who is running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska State Legislature. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. We have an exciting announcement here at Riverside Chats, which is that we will be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of this show at Benson Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with The man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theatre for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience participation and questions. I don't know, maybe we will, like Mr. Chip Davis himself... Sing some Christmas songs, but make them really loud and intense. I don't know what's going to happen. It has to happen live, and hopefully you'll be there with us. Check for tickets at org. An evening with Chip Davis, our first live recorded Riverside Chats since the show premiered on public radio. See you September 24th.
2: Hi, I'm responding to the question about how long do you think a mayor, um, how often should they be in Omaha? I think the mayor should be an ambassador for the city and to travel and to leave. Um, Not all the time in a reasonable rate, but I think the big issue has been that our current mayor hasn't been present. So when you don't have relationships in the community, and you don't show yourself being genuinely present, not just showing up at press conferences, I'm talking about being a human being in space, when you build rapport and you are present, people aren't counting how many days you aren't present. When numbers come out that you haven't been around and that you don't plan on being around, then it really makes folks think, well, what are you even here for? And I feel like that's the big issue that we're having with Mayor Stockard is it's really about the quality of the time that you input. And when the people of your community are suffering, yet you're off in Italy, it's less to do necessarily with how much time and more to do about the quality of time spent and the work that's done while it's here. Uh, Thank you.
0: And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Remember, you can check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Today I'm talking with Cindy Maxwell-Ostick, who is running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska State Legislature. Here's the rest of our conversation. It seems like, uh, certainly in terms of just the concept of representation, that a representative body should look like the body of people, like the populace, Mm -hmm. right? And that doesn't really happen uh, nationally or at a state level. And I don't know, sometimes I wonder how intentional it is that basically it's easier for a certain group that's used to being the kind of people who run for office to sort of keep it that way, that change is scary. You don't know if that's going to hurt you in some way, right?
1: I'm not sure if it's intentional. And I'm trying to be an optimistic person and say that it's potentially not intentional. And it's just because it's being overlooked. But for example, we only have less than 30% of our senators are women in our legislature. And if the uh, women who have kids with daycare and those types of things can't swing it, that, you know, gives us more men. (laughs) So I think that that's one of the issues that we just really need to take a look at. Mm
0: -hmm. So as far as your specific campaign here, you've got several pillars of sort of basic tenets uh, on your site, one of which is Nebraskans deserve good wages, inclusive policies, and affordable child care, all of which, uh, interestingly, are kind of controversial in terms of implementation, right, Mm -hmm. when it comes down to actual policy. So how do you deliver on that? What does it look like?
1: Good question. And that is one of the things that I'm really excited about is that I will roll up my sleeves and get to work with the senators to try to get that compromise. I there have been so many good uh, pieces of legislation brought by various senators over the last few, few years. And I watched the legislature closely. In fact, I am one of the people that helps record it for our study group. Um, lots of people don't realize that the legislature is streamed live. And the Nebraska public media just – that's it. It's just live. There's no recording of it to watch later. And that is something that a lot of Nebraskans then would miss out because not everyone has cable anymore. Most people are just watching on their, you know, device. And so when they get off work at night, they're only catching the highlights that might have been, you know – in the news or people tweeting about it or something like that. So what we do is we record the legislature, the floor proceedings, as well as the committee hearings. And the hearings all happen at the same time. Uh, Every day there's several hearings happening at the same time. And we record those because if you are watching one, you can see what was happening in the other. And it's actually something that I wish the legislature had taken up. There was a bill by Senator Brewer, LB777, which would have um, had the – Nebraska public media digitize and archive all of the recordings of the floor proceedings and committee hearings. And that would have helped everyday Nebraskans as well as the senators. The senators don't understand or know what's happening in all the different hearings when they're in their own. And I know that the transcripts and the people at the legislature are amazing that work there, the clerks and everyone who's transcribing, but they take a long time. And so a lot of times senators might not even realize how their uh, constituents are feeling on a certain bill. So I think that that would be an important thing. And when I talk about these pillars, part of it all plays into that because if you have everyday Nebraskans giving their input, hopefully it wouldn't be as controversial that we address some of these issues because they are important to Nebraskans. And I just think that the senators really need to realize that we do want them to help growing families, help our businesses thrive so that they could attract, you know, people um, who will be talented and stay in Nebraska. Unfortunately, we have too many people leaving, and we want to make sure and attract people to our state so that we can grow our businesses need more employees. We are very um, difficult time. Actually, unemployment is too low.
0: Yeah, I've seen that said. And obviously, brain drain is something that comes up a lot when we talk about the future of Nebraska, what it looks like, what exactly are the causes is something that not everybody agrees on. Um, so one of the uh, other issues that you have that I think ties into brain drain is education. Mm-hmm. So you've written on your site that history, science, and critical thinking are key priorities for a healthy, thriving, inclusive Nebraska that serves all students. Mm -hmm. So when I think about that, I feel like we have to consider Republican gubernatorial candidate Jim Pillen's pledge to impose some degree of censorship on ideas that he kind of struggles to define but finds un-American and worth legislating. Uh, So, you know, I, I just saw this week that Florida passed HB 233, which essentially requires teachers, professors, and students to submit their ideological beliefs to the state government for approval or face possible budget cuts if the answers they submit are not liked. So, I mean, like, it's hard to know uh, based on what Jim Pillen ran on, other than sort of these vague promises to cut down on things he doesn't like, what it's going to look like. So, I mean, what's the war over education that we're about to face, and where do you fit into that?
1: How long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) this is one of the things, and I would just say it at a very basic level. We have amazing schools in Nebraska, and I have um, – I support all schools in Nebraska. Um, my I'm not religious, but my family, my husband, all my nieces and nephews, they're Catholic, and so all of my nieces and nephews attended Catholic school here in Nebraska. So I support those schools. I My kids attend public. I support public schools all of the teachers that are working with our students need to be trusted with their expertise. And it is something that, unfortunately, I think some of the politicians or, you know, candidates haven't been listening to the actual teachers as far as what is best for their students. Now, I think that there are rules and um, guidelines that all of our schools should be following. And I think that there are, you know, standards that we need to adhere to. But when you talk about censorship, and you talk about excluding or shaming or not respecting the dignity of our students or our teachers, then that is not going to be good for our state. It's not. It's nothing that will help us to grow our economy. It will be nothing to help us grow our democracy either.
0: Well, these. I mean, so this idea of what Jim Pillin calls critical race theory, but seems pretty nebulously defined. Uh, you know, it's interesting that it's not really being met with much pushback, right? This idea that we're going to censor what we consider un-American, a lot of what sounds very McCarthy-like, right? Yes. But it's not really being called out for being that way, right? It's just sort of like, well, I guess that's just the Republican, uh, you know, platform right
1: now. I think that there are some Republicans that are speaking up about it, and I am, you know, very happy that they do. The And the whole definition of critical race theory isn't necessarily what you read in the dictionary because everyone has co-opted it to, you know, kind of fit their own narrative. What I think everyone is talking about is true history and actually addressing some of the things that have happened in our history that we want to make sure don't happen again. I'm a 50-something-year-old person. I kind of hate to say that on the (laughs) radio, but um, I attended a school and did not know very lots of uh, issues, lots of um, events and things were not covered in school that they do cover now. And I think they could even be doing a better job now in covering some of the history that we didn't learn about our indigenous um, uh, situations as far as, you know, our black neighbors across the country, when we talk about slavery, when we talk about the after effects and how it's still affecting our communities today. I think that these types of things are important. And I know that our students will do better if they are actually learning the truth. Well, yeah, I think it
0: ties back to what you were talking about, which is 2016 was a moment of sort of a lot of people shaking out of a complacency, that things were all just Going fine, right? That the ship is running itself. We don't necessarily need to be that uh, watchful, right? That it's all kind of okay. And I think when when you get this idea that we need to now legislate and ban things that are critical of the country or that show an ugly side or even show things that have been uh, – where there's been progress that's been made, right, to extend the idea of who's even a person, right? Like that's come a long way over the course of American history. And so you can view that as kind of like, OK, well, I guess that's the process working, right? Like that's that is maybe progress happening. Or you can say this paints America as evil and we need to ban those books that say that. Uh, And I guess what I'm getting at is when you're not allowed to criticize a country, certainly that's a way to ensure that there's that kind of complacency and that lack of participation in who has a say in what the country is going to look like going forward, right?
1: Well, yes. And in fact, one of the things that I think is so important is that we realize the patriotic thing is to involve ourselves in our government and question our government when necessary and correct our government. That is our responsibility as Americans. And I know that there are presidents in the past who have, you know, you see these memes all over about how you know important it is that everyone um, be involved. But I think a lot of people just kind of sit back and they listen to, you know, some people who have an agenda that want to quiet these voices. And it's unfortunate. It really is. Because I think that we all realize that if we could help our communities thrive, then it makes everybody's life better. And one of the things that, you know, just in the last month, there was Juneteenth that was celebrated. And I didn't learn about Juneteenth until the last few years. Never heard of it, didn't understand it. I realize I'm a privileged person who, for whatever reason, had not come across that um, history. And I'm glad to know now. It is very sad that there were people who did not know that they, everyone um, in our country had the right and uh, inherent dignity to be free. But they did not learn that the government had uh, actually confirmed that the slaves in our country were free until years later. And it's, it's um, abhorrent. And it's something that I want to make sure we never do again. And it is not something that we should have any uh, personal shame about. I think a lot of people were worried that we would be teaching kids to be embarrassed of their um, you know upbringing or something like that. And it's nothing that we could have had control over. In the past. It's happened. It's in the past. But we can do better going forward. And I think that that's important.
0: Another pillar of your campaign is fair, equitable tax policy. So, what does that look like for Nebraska?
1: (laughs) That's another topic that could take hours. (laughs) And I think that there's um, a lot of ways we can come at our tax policy in Nebraska. I'm from Millard. So, in the last few years, we had a levy override because I'll just talk about schools, for example. Everyone talks about property taxes. Property taxes are important, and they are high. I have people in my district that many consider, you know, like District 4 is West Omaha, and they consider, you know, our district to be well off, but there are many in our district on fixed, in- fixed incomes, and it is difficult to swing these taxes on top of all the other rising prices, and um, so I don't want to forget that. In Nebraska, our property taxes are impacted by how the state either funds or doesn't schools, for example. Um, our TOSA formula is the one – it's like some abbreviation for how our schools are funded across the state. That has never really been fully funded by the state. And so each district must raise those additional dollars. We all want good schools. I have not talked to one voter who wanted to not have good schools in Nebraska. The Um, I want a
0: bad school lobby does not exist? Okay. (laughs)
1: And we should be proud. We have good schools in Nebraska. But it does take money. And, you know, we need good facilities. We need good uh, curriculum. We need to pay our teachers well. It isn't um, something that I think is controversial. How to pay for it becomes the question. And in Millard, we actually were short. There were um, difficulties in meeting the needs of the budget. And so as a community, we voted to override the levy and make additional money available from our property taxes so that the school could do what they needed to do for our students. And when we went through that process, I think a lot of us learned about that formula and how it hadn't been funded. So I've watched that in the legislature, and it comes up every year property taxes, property taxes, property taxes. It's the main topic. And I was so interested this year that Senator Walls from Fremont, she's a Democrat, she's the chair of the Education Committee. She had a bill that would have addressed the formula and how it would be funded. And then there's a companion piece by Senator Lindstrom. He's a Republican here in Omaha. He had a companion piece that would have addressed the property tax side of it. And so together, These two bills could have addressed some of this issue, and I didn't agree with all of it, but I think that it was a good start, and I'm sad that the legislature didn't take it up and seriously consider it. They could have worked together and amended it to improve it and then passed it to hopefully help everyday Nebraskans with their property taxes. Um, So those types of things, I think I would be um, involved with trying to move forward.
0: Well, it sounds like you also bring an awareness as someone who just follows the legislature as closely as you do. I don't know that a lot of people can offhand just name a lot of legislative bills that didn't go forward in previous years. So it sounds like you're really interested in building off of what you're seeing work and not work, as opposed to having to sort of figure out what is going on when you get in there.
1: Right. And I think there's a lot to learn. I've been um, actually trying to learn as much as possible uh, before I'm elected. One of the things that I think is different about me is that I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone who did uh, assessments by the Gallup organization or -hmm. Selection Research, Inc. Um, I have a growth orientation. And one of the things that is frustrating to me is when I see opportunities we don't take advantage of. It almost frustrates me more Mm -hmm. (laughs) than if we have something that we do. And it's potentially didn't work or it needs adjustment and we can improve it. But when we sit and leave something on the table that could help everyday Nebraskans, it is very frustrating to me. And that's part of the reason I did decide to run. Um, We had that happen this last year with um, just for example the emergency housing assistance. Um, The governor refused to um, request that money that was available to all states from the federal uh, government And those coffers are actually filled by our tax dollars. Nebraskans pay into federal tax accounts, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And the thing that was frustrating to me is that we would have had those $120 million that would have been infused into Nebraska's economy. It would have went to the landlords. And then through their profits, they would have been spending or even through their maintenance on their different apartments, spending in their community. And so those were dollars that we left on the table and that the governor wanted to send to other states. And I just did not understand that at all. And I talked to many voters. This was happening right as the um, May primaries were coming up. Many voters of all parties. I will stress this. Nebraskans of all parties, Democrats, nonpartisans, as well as Republicans, were unhappy with how that was going because they don't want to see their neighbors and their um, neighbor's children to not have a home. And we all know that it's impossible to grow your economy, too, when you don't have housing for um, people so that they can come to work. And it's not good for students either.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Cindy Maxwell-Ostick, who's running to represent District 4 in the Nebraska State Legislature. Join the conversation on social media or call in with what issue is on your mind in a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. And you know, there's just some basic elements as well. Like you've got clean air, clean water, clean energy, which I think I talk about it a lot in this show, and I find it one of the most infuriating elements of Nebraska politics that this becomes politicized as if like if you care about. The environment, then that makes you liberal, which makes you not, I not know, like a, enough of a Nebraskan to be worth listening to. I feel like sometimes you hear that come from mainstream Republicans coming here. So, in terms of doing this, I know Senator Megan Hunt has said that there just aren't enough votes for the legislature in Nebraska to meaningfully enact statewide climate legislation. Mm-hmm. And something like that, you know, I don't know, like just it's hard for as someone who thinks existential risks to humanity and, you know, like having a livable ecosystem is probably worth our time and attention to hear something like that is one of the things that I hear a lot of young people say, you know, makes them not really think Nebraska is worth staying in, not worth investing in, not worth uh, really feeling like they identify with. So, I mean, like, what is the future of legislation for climate change? Because we, we know it's happening. I think I think that everybody there probably agrees that that's happening now, right? But is, is there a real path forward?
1: I think there is. And so it is such a big topic. And I believe that most of us grew up understanding conservation, right? And it's become a controversial thing regarding um, taking care of our uh, climate and our environment. And that is too bad because it would be good for our business and for our farming and agriculture and ranching that we have a good environment. Um, One of the things that I've really been following is how the Lincoln, the city of Lincoln, has a climate action plan that they implemented. I think Omaha is actually moving forward with one as well. And I had wished that they had done that in the legislature. I will vote to move forward on a climate action plan, and if no one else brings it, I'll bring my own. I would rely on the scientists and the experts to help us in determining how could we at least get started on this because we are behind the curve, and um, our young people watch how the – Climate is changing, and they understand and they're seeing the different signs about how it's accelerating, the change is accelerating, and they, they know, they've learned this in school. They understand the science that if we don't address this by a certain point, things tip. And it's going to be, you know, exponentially worse. So I have kids in middle school and high school, and they ask me about this. Like, what happened in the legislature? Did they do this? Or are they looking at that? And they have various ideas. And I think that we just need to recognize that everyone has – not everybody, but most of the senators even have kids or grandkids and would want their future to be secure as far as the environment. And then if we're talking about clean water, I have followed the – Uh, situation in Mead closely. I attended an information session there last summer. They invited um, people in the community to come, and there were uh, experts from UNMC. Um, There were people who were talking about how this was impacting their lives, you know, residents in Mead, And there was a young family talking about their children and how they were not only using bottled water to, you know, cook and have um, something for their kids to drink they were worried about having their children bathe in the water because of how it could impact and be absorbed and I understand I think that family has moved and I think they had a hard time and I'm not even sure whether they were able to sell their house Um, we went to a farm there was a gentleman there who invited everyone at that session to come to their farm and they let us see their pond that had died and this was a family that was very proud about their farm they were very proud about how they were growing a future for their kids and their grandkids And they had pictures there showing just even this pond um, was something that was important for their recreation like they fished and, and all these types of things it was dead it was downstream from mead and their pond had died how has that impacted the rest of the environment in that area they're trying to figure it out. And I know that UNMC and some of the other scientists, and there was a woman from UNL who um, studied bees um, and beekeeping and the environment. And she was kind of the person who uh, saw the signs. It was like a, what's the saying, the canary in the mine type of situation. And I know they've been following it closely and trying to do more studies.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a disconnect, especially when we talk about young people who feel sort of culturally out of step with the goals of the state's government and legislative majority, which is when there's something like the warming climate that they, that a lot of the legislators and the governor a lot of the time does not feel – either does not feel is worth addressing or in the case of Pete Ricketts oftentimes ridicules any sort of attempt to address it uh, in any kind of, uh, you know, legislative, you know, any kind of goal that either comes from the federal or state. Um, you know, it's just sort of like when you don't feel like they take a risk, like the, the changing climate or pollution seriously, when something like mead happens, I think a lot of young people struggle to sort of trust that adults are in the room taking care of it. And I think there are a lot of good people who are working at the state level to try to make sure something like that does not pollute the groundwater for the whole state. But it's just sort of like, do you? I mean, I guess my real question is, do you have a message to younger Nebraskans who feel so culturally out of step and feel like it can be difficult to trust the government when they're sort of told, all right, well, things you care about, like (laughs) a livable biome Mm -hmm. 50, 60, 70 years from now, I don't care about that. That's not my priority. If you're young and that's sort of the message you're getting from the government, what are you supposed to do? How do you get invested? How do you trust it?
1: OK, so it is important that you find out who your representatives are and who's up for election that would be representing you. And as far as the legislature, every two years, um, half the legislature turns over. Like right now, the legislature is reelecting all the even-numbered district senators. And then in two years, it'll be the odd number. If you are in a district where you're represented well regarding what issues are important to you, including the environment, find someone else who's running in a different district and help them. We have an excellent number of people in Nebraska who are registered to vote, but unfortunately, not enough people exercise that responsibility. And so the actual process of completing your vote is critical, and I think if more young people helped their neighbors and friends become registered and then also to make sure to get out to vote and I love to vote by mail I think that 's an amazing way to take care of this responsibility. You can research and take your time and actually turn in your vote ahead of time and make sure that you don 't have an emergency or something that would happen that day um, that would impact your ability to vote and that is the way I would tell people to get involved because it is frustrating to me that we didn't address this issue sooner in Nebraska. And I know there are a lot of people like me that are trying to get to the Unicameral so we can make those votes. But if we can't get there, we're just going to have more of the same.
0: Yeah, well, I think you see a lot of pushback to just vote and it'll all get better, right? Because I think a lot of people have been voting and don't necessarily see the change at the level or speed that they hope they would see. How do you get that group of people who are registered but aren't engaged?
1: So... Senator uh, Wendy DeBoer shared recently how close her election and Senator Lathrop was uh, like four years ago. Uh, One or another of them came within 100 and something votes. Those two races were actually very close. And that comes down to every neighborhood. You're talking about block by block. If one person had had three or four of their friends, like-minded friends, to make sure they're registered, make sure it's up to date, get your vote in, and then confirm it, because you can do that on the Secretary of State website. If they had only done that with four of their friends and then four of their friends, then we would have made sure to have a higher return. But I mean, we're literally talking about how voter turnout could be 30% or less. And so if you're not taking part in who you're electing to make the decisions, The decisions aren't going to be what you're looking for. And I know that there's a lot of people who are disillusioned right now. I'm frustrated as well, but we just have to dig deep and um, understand that if we truly put the work in, then we can make a difference.
0: So for people who want to learn more about your campaign, anything we, we didn't have time to get to today, or I know we talked about complicated issues where there is a lot more depth, where maybe they want to talk to you and have that six-hour conversation, oh, sure. uh, <laughs> where should they go?
1: Sure. Um, I, I'm happy to talk with anyone um, directly. My contact information is at Cindy for And again, I'm Cindy maxwell Ostick and I'm an independent. I'm running for Legislature District 4, which is West Omaha. I have three kids, I have a husband, we have a small business, and we are really trying to work to make Nebraska a good place for everyone to grow their families. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you. It's been great to get to know you, your vision, and uh, at least an alternative vision of what does it look like for a nonpartisan Nebraska. So thanks for being Mm -hmm. here
1: today. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun.
0: Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by the real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.